0: This new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We've got a great new show to be sharing with you today. I'm truly excited about this one. And joining us to talk to us about it is the playwright Janine Sternweeb. Her new show, First Ladies and the Big White Lie, is having an industry event on March 7th and 8th at Open Jar Studios. So we're very excited about that. And I as I mentioned, I cannot wait to share this great show about these wonderful first ladies in American history with you. So let us welcome on the expert on telling us about this show, Janine, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you and to learn more about your amazing new work. I can't wait for it to get here to New York for this industry event and beyond. And I want to start by having you tell our listeners a bit about what First Ladies and the Big White Lie is about.
1: Yeah. Okay. So like so many people after 2016, I was pretty devastated by the election. And then of course we had this horrendous event in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, you know, we were even more devastated to find out that our president thought there were good people on both sides. So about a dozen years ago, I'll just back up and I'll show you what, what the real inspiration for this play is. The Hemingses of Monticello by Annette Gordon-Reed is a, a biography of Sally Hemings and her family, many generations. And I read this, so, you know, a dozen years ago, I read the book and I just, you know, had all those thoughts in my head about, about Jefferson and Hemings and, and Charlottesville, which is where Monticello is. And I thought to myself, What would Mary Lincoln, who spent, who really gave her life to save this country, her husband's life, her children's lives, to save this country, think about Americans showing up in Charlottesville to protest the raising of Confederate statues? And I imagine this afterlife where she's suffering, overseeing that. You mean Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee are what people are showing up to defend? And you know, what happened to what happened to my husband and his legacy, Abraham Lincoln? And and who walks in the door of this afterlife, but Verena Davis, the first lady of the Confederacy. So that's where the play started. And so now the play begins with the most famous of the of the deceased first ladies. That would be Mary Lincoln, Jackie Kennedy, Abigail Adams, Dolly Madison, Patsy Jefferson, the daughter of Jefferson. The play begins with the Republican debate in 2016, where Donald Trump brags about the size of his hands. A lot of people remember that. And Mary Lincoln realizes this is a a disaster for the Republican Party. Of course, he wins. And then and then strange things start to happen in this afterlife. People that shouldn't be there start to walk into the room. Eventually, Verena Davis will walk into the room. So everything is sort of going wonky. And that reflects our society, right? Where are our norms? Where is our democracy going? What has happened to the party, the party of Lincoln? So all of these things are getting reflected. So and, and, and I take it all the way through the election and ultimately January 6th. And and the and the inauguration. So we end with the inauguration. There's a whole plot in there around Jefferson and Sally and telling the truth. Patsy Jefferson has a really hard time telling the truth. And the reason she has a hard time telling the truth is because historians knew about Sally Hemings for 200 years. And before we had the DNA evidence, they just kept saying, no, Sally Hemings was not his concubine. That did not happen. And once we had the DNA DNA evidence, now, okay, now the the historians are saying, oh, okay, I guess we were wrong. I guess Sally was real. So we're dealing also with the culture wars, right? So we're told, you know, in Florida, you know, they don't want to teach Black history, they don't want to teach about slavery. Nikki Haley can't let the words come out of her mouth that slavery was the cause of the Civil War. This is all revisionist history, right? This inability to... Make white people feel uncomfortable with with our American history, so we we deal with that directly, right? We're gonna we're we're gonna confront our history. We're gonna tell the truth, and we're all gonna be better for it. And it's gonna mean a more inclusive, more honest society. That's the objective, and to save democracy. Yeah, small small goals here. <laughs> oh, I mean, what a piece!
0: What a what a timely piece, and. I I mean, what a responsive piece. There's been a lot happening, I think, just in the last eight years in the world. We've just been dealing with so much. And I love how you decided to react and and, and tell a story and whatnot, how you decided to present it using these incredible women from our past. So I'm interested to know. I mean, you've kind of hinted that you were initially inspired to write a play when you witnessed the events in Charlottesville and whatnot. What was the idea, what inspired you to write this play using the first ladies and such?
1: Yeah, so um, again, it's because I knew so much about Jefferson and his family, and I knew about this big lie out there, right, that Sally doesn't exist, and I kept thinking about 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 Confederate flags being in Charlottesville today these people are going to to rally around the Confederate flag you know I think most most people who understand history know really what that flag is for what would the what would the 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 people who lived through those those years the Confederate years make of this this travesty of you know rallying around the confederate flag at this crazy stage. I also want to mention that Eleanor Roosevelt as the most beloved first ladies first lady does does has has an important role in this play though she's not in this room that we first see the first ladies in. She's kind of the most evolved of the first ladies and she sort of has a special role in the afterlife.
0: Wonderful. As we are riding right into the industry event here in March. What has it been like developing this work?
1: Okay, so I, I I thought about it. I started writing things. I didn't get too far with it until COVID. So when 2020 hit and there was really nothing that anybody could do with theater, do in theater, as, as you know, except sit in a room and write or be on Zoom with people and, and do readings, my acting teacher, Lenny Dean, who is a, an experienced wonderful acting teacher and director in Santa Rosa California she said to me let's work on this play together so she and I got to work she assembled a cast and we started doing a series of readings and every time we did a reading we developed the play further and she's been you know absolutely essential in this whole process and we have and finally this this last iteration is we took it to Washington we had a reading at the Women's National Democratic Club, this big old mansion on DuPont Circle, which Eleanor Roosevelt used to, she used to be the president of this club. So there's a lot of history there. And a lot of first ladies have walked through that room. So that's where we had our last reading. And then somehow somebody mentioned it, a, a, a person who showed up at the at the play mentioned it to Marcella Rolando, a seasoned director who said, to me. I read your play and I loved it and I want to bring it to New York. So here we are. Oh, we love Marcello. He's an amazing guy and I'm so happy
0: he had the chance to see this and he's helping propel this. So there's a lot of timely issues going on. There's a lot of commentary happening in this play, it sounds like. And I'm curious to know, is there a specific message or thought that you're hoping the audiences will take away from First Ladies? And the big white lie.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like the play has always been a call to action. It's always been that, that we have to do what we can. You know, this democracy is not some spectator sport. We've all, we all got kind of lazy during the Obama years. No one is coming to save us. And even these women in this afterlife, they realize it's not just their reputations at stake, which they care about very much. They have long conversations about, you know, which Hollywood actors are portraying them and do they show them in the best light? You know, they have some ego there, but they're also, they realize like they actually still have some agency. And if they have agency, then we definitely have some agency. <laughs> that, that's So So it is a call to action. And it's also, it's it's a call also to, look at the ways that we we're not seeing things clearly yes jefferson for example i mean i i don't i don't take a side on jefferson i think some you know there are plenty of people out there who say well he lied he was a slaveholder he you know we should take down his monument I, i'm not i don't come down or or any of the confederate monuments i'm not saying that we should or shouldn't but we deal with that directly the toppling of monuments we deal with directly the important the important thing is to know your history To engage in conversation, to have nuanced dialogue about these things. These things are not black and white. They're not simple. We have to really understand deeply this history. We can't just say we don't want to know it because it's uncomfortable, or we don't want to know it because it makes us feel it makes it makes whites feel bad. We we can't say these things anymore. We have to look at our history honestly, squarely, in depth. Read lots of books. That's that's my answer, read, go to libraries.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. It, I mean, it, the age old adage, if you don't learn your history, you're doomed to repeat it. My final question for this first part of the interview is, who do you hope have access to your show?
1: I want people to feel like this history is theirs. There are gonna be, there are people who show up who know who Eleanor Roosevelt is or Abigail Adams, but they might not know everybody on that stage. And I want them to feel as as the first ladies themselves come to feel that this is a living, breathing history. It's a living, breathing democracy. We need to know about it. We need to engage with these characters and these stories and these mythologies all men are created equal. It's a nice thing to say. Patsy Jefferson is so very proud of this. It's it's what we are, what it's what we aspire to, but we're not there yet. We're not actually there yet. So I want people to come out of that theater feeling like history is fascinating and wonderful. These characters are amazing. And this country is aspirational. The the, the promise of this country is aspirational. And let's get to work to make it actually a reality.
0: For the second part of our interview, we love letting our listeners get to know our guests a little bit more, pick their brains, if you will. And I would love to start off by asking you, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past, or just some of your favorites?
1: This might take a while. I hope you're ready. <laughs> I I want to just say that the, the most important playwright when I was much younger was Tom Stoppard. And he remains, he's just, you know, Arcadia remains for me like the gold standard and and one of the most important experiences I ever had in in the theater was when Arcadia came to Lincoln Center and it was the 90s it had to have been the 90s and which I saw Billy Crudup played Septimus and I, I won't give it away in case anybody hasn't seen it but there's a big reveal late in the play and I will never forget the whole audience gasping just like we all in this huge theater just <gasps> So that was one of my favorites. And then also, this is probably about 10 years ago, I saw Brian Cox in Stoppard's Rock and Roll and Rufus Sewell. And yeah, that was quite a wonderful experience. As I mentioned, Jackie Siblis-Drury's Fairview and also We Are Proud to Present. I love those plays. I love Stephen Adley Guirgis, New York playwright. I love his work. Paul Vogel, Indecent, How I Learned to Drive. You know, really seminal, important plays in my life. Other Desert Cities, Clyburn Park. I mean, talk about a political play that just Clyburn Park just gets gets right there in there. And mm, I love that so much. And the play that I really love lately, a really new play is Heroes of the Fourth Turning by Will Arbery, which which deals with Trump directly. You know, they it's and and it's it's a, it's about how people who it's about uh, a Catholics, actually, very, very conservative Catholics who did vote for Trump because he was, he promised to end abortion, but how that's not sitting so well with them. You know, he doesn't quite represent their values, but it's really about how we all have to deal with that, the contradictions in our world. And I also want to put shout out to Lauren Yi, the Great Leap and Cambodian rock band I've seen recently and just extraordinary, beautiful political plays. I love political plays. And I love plays that just keep me on the edge of my seat where I have to listen really closely so I don't miss anything. That's my my idea of great theater.
0: Yes. Wonderful list there. Some incredible pieces. I, You and I need to just get together and see some theater because absolutely I'm with you on that. I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, yep, that one. Yep, that one. We actually covered other desert cities on our podcast, Stage whisper and it was just such a great, that's not where I thought the show was going to go. That is not where I thought it was going to go. It was brilliant. So I love that list and great new works for me to check out. I'm curious to know, now I know that you are in California, but have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners, either here in New York or out
1: in California? Yeah, so well, The Great Leap I saw at at Berkeley Rep, oh, you know, I'll just do a shout out. I know this is not a really new play, but I did see a production in California of District Merchants, Aaron Posner's play, which is, it's an adaptation of Merchant of Venice and it takes place in the reconstruction period in Washington. So it's a a play about the interaction between Jews and newly freed blacks. So that's a really interesting play and an interesting period of time that I loved a lot. I mean, my favorite theaters... I live in the Bay Area. My favorite theaters are Berkeley Rep, Shotgun, San Francisco Playhouse, ACT, really great stuff, you know, showing, showing there. Yeah. Oh, I saw POTUS. POTUS is everywhere. Selena Fillinger. I did see that at Berkeley Rep. That was really fun.
0: That is a fabulous show. (laughs) Loved seeing that. Had the pleasure of seeing that at least twice last summer. So a beautiful list and great shout out to some wonderful theater companies out in the Bay Area. Fabulous. I am curious to know, what is your favorite part
1: about working in the theater? You know, before the pandemic, I really thought that I was going to become a director. My kids, I was, I was an empty nester. My kids had left and, and I came to this kind of late, you know, I I love theater as a child, but really let it go. I mean, I, I was, I was a, an English and history major in college, and I really I read a lot of novels, <laughs> and, I, and I attended the theater. But then, you know, by the time I, I, I hit 50, I thought, well, no, you know, I got to go back to my old love. And I, and I started directing and acting, not much, mostly directing, and really thought, okay, this is my path. And then when COVID came, and there was no more directing to do, I realized I had all these stories inside of me, and I thought, well, you know, what else am I going to do? And why, why shouldn't I, that's the truth, right? Why shouldn't I? And I just started letting those voices of those characters talk to me and I started writing them down. And so now, you know, I've written a play with nine historical women, <laughs> lots of first ladies in this play. And, you know, and then of course, I, I can read all these history books and learn more about these characters and I like stories that are meaningful. That's what I love about the theater. Stories that are meaningful. I want to have another a, another shout out a play that I just have to say the Jungle. Yeah, The Jungle. Wow. Like everybody needs to see The Jungle. Because here's the thing. So The Jungle is about is about immigration and refugees and I remember at the end of it it's it's kind of an experiential it's it's experiential theater at the end of it, which I, I, I saw it in, in San Francisco, I just thought, I said, to, I just shouted out loud, I care about these people. Like, isn't that what we want theater to do? I care about these people. And therefore I care about what happens to them. I care about their issues. It might make me get involved. I certainly see the world differently. I see the world from their perspective. Isn't that a gift to see the world from their perspective? Theater, theater can do so many things, right? And that's why I'm devoted to it. It has the potential to really change minds and hearts and lives.
0: Yes, a
1: beautiful answer. Oh my gosh, that was
0: so wonderful. We have now arrived at my favorite question to ask us. And that of course is, what is your favorite theater memory?
1: I guess it has to be Fairview. I didn't see it coming. I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah. Jackie Sibley's play Fairview is so brave and it was so astonishing to be confronted in the theater. I think a lot of us think you know theater. You just you you know you pay your ticket, you go and you sit back. You can fall asleep if you want to. No one's going to bother you. In fair, you know you know Fairview. You know it, it didn't just break the fourth wall. Fairview confronts us to really to really step into someone else's shoes. It demands that we that we stop that we step into someone else's shoes. So that's what I'll say about that. I think that was my that's my favorite memory. I love that. I have to check out
0: this show. This sounds amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is wonderful. Are there any other projects or productions that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you?
1: So I have, as I said, lots of characters talking at me, lots of stories in my head. You know, a lot of people have said to me, oh, you know, your kids are gone. You can travel to Europe. You know, you got all this time and I'm not going anywhere. And you know why I'm not? I mean, I'm not going anywhere outside the country. I've taken two tours now of the Deep South. We have so many stories in this country that I am dying to tell. My next story is set in Nikki Haley, South Carolina, about a governor from the 1840s so these are all, again, I love real characters. I love real people. And because honestly, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. So I'm going to be writing a play about that guy. And I'm going to be, and I, and I, I'm, I'm really, and and I'm, and I'm caught up in the culture wars. I mean, there's just, there's an endless amount of things to say about this moment in history, right? Where we're going to give rights to gun owners, and we're not going to give rights to women over their own bodies. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It is so outrageous. So I'm going to stay right here in America and keep writing my stories about the conundrum that is all men are created equal.
0: (laughs) I love that. The conundrum that is America, the imperfect project that we love and get frustrated at at the same time. Well, my final question for you is if our listeners would like more information about First Ladies and the Big White Lie or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you.
1: How can they do so? Absolutely. So if you go to the web, it's firstladiesandthebigwhitelie.com. And if you want to reach me and you can on my website, you can, um, you know, connect with me there, or you can connect with me on Facebook. It's first ladies dot the big white lie. That's those are the two best ways to be in touch. And I would love to hear from people, love to hear what they have to say about these characters. Every time we've done a reading, we've asked for feedback. It's been really fun, you know, hearing what people say. And and let me also say that whenever I talk to people about the play, I always say it's about the most famous deceased first ladies. So who are we talking about? And I let them speak. And It's really interesting you know, everybody says Eleanor Roosevelt. Everybody says Jackie Kennedy. You know, a few people might say Mary Lincoln, but then it's like, oh, not everybody knows who Dolly Madison is. Not everyone who knows who Abigail Adams was. She was the first feminist, our first American feminist. What an incredible character. And Dolly Madison is known for, you know, confections. She like cupcakes and whatever. No, she no, no. At the table as the British were arriving. <laughs> yeah, she sat they, down to eat before they burned the White House. Yeah, she's most famous actually for rescuing a painting. Oh my god, this woman was a true diplomat. Oh, um, yeah. amazing. So it's like I've taken these iconic women and I don't give them just a soundbite. I give them a chance to really talk about what they meant to this country and what their dreams were of this country at a time when they didn't have any rights. They couldn't own property, they couldn't vote, and yet they made a huge difference.
0: I love that, that is fabulous. Well, Janine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And for sharing this incredible work. I'm so excited to attend the industry event and to see where this goes next. I know it's going to be produced. I can't wait to see where the legs continue to grow for the show and to see what you do next as well. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you. And as they say, from your mouth to God's ears.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. My guest today has been the amazing playwright Janine Sternlieb. Whose new show, First Ladies and the Big White Lie, is having an industry event on March seventh and eighth at Open Jar Studios. You can reach out to Janine and get more information about this show by visiting the website firstladiesandthebigwhitelie.com or check him out on Facebook. First Ladies dot the big white lie. We're going to have all of this information posted on our episode description as well as on our social media posts. But stay tuned. This is going to be a show that's going to get fully produced. There's some great new shows coming from her as well. We will keep you posted about Janine's play that's having its industry event on March 7th and 8th called First Ladies and the Big White Lie. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod, And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit StageWhisperPod.com. Our theme song is Maniac